Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Alan Parker said... Sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and before we start the podcast, just just a bit of a a bit of a brief history of the last two or three weeks. Um, this is being recorded on the third of April, sort of approaching the third week, entering the third week of the pandemic lockdown in in uk and before this in 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 wild crazy times of doing what the hell you want um the last my last visit to the cinema was um to see the uh, true history of the kelly gang paired with invisible man um a wonderful experience over in uh, woodford green wood green even not woodford green in wood green and um i enjoyed it very much the former more than the latter although the latter is not bad and I posted on Facebook, as is my want, to say how much I enjoyed the Kelly Gang movie, to which a couple or three people said to me, have you seen, is it as good as, have you seen Calm With Horses? And I was like, no, not yet. It is on my list, because it was just on the cinema. And sadly, events overtook us, and it was no longer, I was no longer able to see the cinema, and it was obviously taken off the cinemas as cinemas were no longer open. But... Calm With Horses is getting a VOD release, um, and I'm very proud to be speaking to Nick Rowland, the director of Calm With Horses. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very sorry that the events have overtaken the release of your movie, um, but I'm very glad that I got to see your movie so we can talk about it and tell people that they should also check it out when it's released on VOD. Yeah, it's that, you know, we spent... Um... I guess about five years making the thing and uh, it was quite unlucky to release it uh, three days into a pandemic. So yeah, it, it was in the cinemas for about three or four days before all of the, all of the theatres shut down, um, which is, you know, that's life. Um, but yeah, we're happy it's going to be released on the 27th of April on, on various VOD platforms. So, so you can still check out. I'm told I was a violent child. I can hurt people. Most people know to stay on the right side of the Devers family. I'm what you meet if you ever find yourself on the wrong side. People say they're trouble, the Devers. I didn't get the joke, Lex. 
But I say all families have their problems. I don't want him to be around you. Because of the things that you do. Wise up, Arm. Wise up. Yeah, wise up. You were never like this before, you know that? Before them devers got their hands in you. We heard about this fella. But we think it's time to finish the job. We have to do it. This is not loyalty. Please. It's servitude. the listener a brief synopsis to what calm with horses is all about yeah so calm with horses is an adaptation of an irish crime novel um and it's basically about this character called arm who's a a young ex-boxer who is now working as an enforcer for a a nefarious family of uh, drug dealers on the west coast of ireland Mm. and the story is basically about how his loyalties are torn um between um, his duties for this criminal family and um, his duties as a, a father, um, he's trying to be a, a better father to his young five-year-old uh, autistic son. It's a wonderfully um, claustrophobic story in the sense of it's about how small our worlds are, which I think is quite prescient given given how small our worlds have become in a lockdown pandemic. But in a, in a different way, this is about the social structures and, and the, social fa- the very social fabric that we live in that makes our lives claustrophobic in the sense of you can't, you can't just move on because you've changed your mind if you enter into the kind of Faustian deal that means you're a, an enforcer for a drug gang. It's, um, yeah, it's, for me, what I really, uh, it's based, so it's based on this short story mm. by Colin Barrett. And um, what struck me when I was reading it, I had a very instant reaction to it. Um, and I thought it would make a really great film because I guess it has the, it, the skeleton of the story is a is a crime thriller and mm-hmm. a, a crime and a crime sort of a violent crime story. Um, so obviously, I, I was very gripped and very tense throughout reading it. But um, there's an awful lot of heart and emotion to it as well, and and then also these kind of elements of black comedy. Um, so it felt very rich, and the characters felt very real to me. And um, um, it just you know, it I. I, I didn't grow up in Ireland, but I, I partly grew up on the northeast coast of Scotland in a small fishing uh, fishing town, and um, I felt like I'd I'd kind of come across a lot of these characters before um, when I was growing up. So um, it was it was a it was a challenge to adapt, I guess, because it had all these sort of competing tones. You know, trying to make the the crime work with the humour and work with the family drama and stuff like that. But um, you know, we're very very happy with how it all came out. Now, your writer is uh, Joe uh, Mator. Is that how I pronounce the surname? Uh, Murta. Murta, sorry. Um, and he's someone you've you've um, you've kind of collaborated with, like since film school, from what I can understand. Um, and so, for you and him to to adapt this uh, this this short story, what's the process for um, for the pair of you? So yeah, so me me and Joe met at um, at the National Film School. Uh, got, uh, that must be back in 20, uh, 2012 or 2013. 
and we were actually we were kind of um it was you know i think in the first few days of the course we they were doing all these sort of um um icebreaker kind of exercises so they kind of paired me and joe up randomly and they told they asked us to write a song about soho like a musical theater piece on soho and then dance and sing about it in front of all of these strangers that we never met before and for two two sort of introverted aspiring filmmakers it was pretty terrifying but i guess that that sort of started quite a strong bond between us that we we haven't shaken yet and um yeah we did we did a few short films together um and what, what, uh, adventures, what was the song you concocted about soho i mean i think it, we just kind of ripped off um uh, new york new york i think or something something <laughs> like that <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I had, not, I'm, I had to ask I'm not. I'm not going to. Uh, uh, I think I'll try to block as much of that out of my memory. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we so we did a we did a little short film called Out of Sight that yeah. played at Sundance, and then we did um, another. Our graduation film was this uh, film called Group B, which was a, like a rally driving short film that um, starred uh, Richard Madden and Michael Smiley. Mm. Which you can they're, they're they're all on Vimeo if you want to see them. Yeah, we'll put um, links in the show notes. Um, and it was actually while I was, um, while I was trying to get Richard and Michael to be in, in our graduation film, I went and, um, um, I, it was the same time that I found Calm With Horses and Dan, Dan Emerson, the producer was an assistant at working title at the time. And we were trying to find something to do together. Um, so I sent him the the short story and asked him to try and option it, which he went and did. And then as I was trying to get uh, these actors to be in Group B, I visited the Troika Talent Agency. Right. And I was meeting this guy, one of the, the main agents there, Conor McCahon and, and, and Sam Fox. And um, I was trying to convince them to, to sort of uh, send my script to their, their clients. And during that meeting, they asked what I wanted to do next. Um, and I said, oh, I'm in the process of optioning Calm With Horses, this short, amazing short story I just read. Hmm. And it was just just so happened that um, Connor was also trying to option the same story for Michael Fassbender. No way! And and we were we were we were uh, essentially bidding against each other without realizing it. So he said, you know, so Connor said, why don't you and Dan come and do it with us at DMC, which is Michael Fassbender's production company, and and that's how the the, the project came about. And then when it came to Joe, Joe's whole family um comes from the west coast of ireland and uh he so he knows he knows that world very well yeah and a lot of joe's a lot of joe's natural sensibilities as a writer paired really really well with colin barrett the original author Mm. so every all these elements just felt very serendipitous and um and it was really nice being able to to have joe come on board to adapt the story because especially as it was our first feature film and and we were moving from being film students into, you know, trying to be professional filmmakers and to have someone there that you can be completely um, safe with, you know, the way me and Joe work is we'll throw a thousand terrible ideas at the wall, but, but it may lead to something interesting that leads to something interesting down the road. And, um, you know, and I've done, there was maybe a three-year period after I left film school where I directed a bit of TV drama. And, um, you know, I was working with amazing 
professional writers and as a young filmmaker I was always battling a bit of imposter syndrome and, and wondering if my opinion was valid or is worthy as some of the people around me whereas what's nice with working with Joe is we're kind of in it together and we've grown up together and we're best friends and we're not we're not afraid of looking foolish in front of one another of so course, that's yeah. kind of I think that's a really great way to be creative and it, it extends beyond the writing process and it's the same when you're working with actors or or anyone really I, I think guess I guess what you I guess what you're saying there is there's no there's no need to second guess each other because neither of you've been here before so to speak and you kind of know each other's recent history enough to feel confident yeah. that you're not you're not you're not over overlapping or or, um, or or getting in the way of something yeah I mean usually most sentences start you know with this is probably a shit idea, but <laughs> what, you know, and it's just feeling, feeling like it's okay to, to, to be so stupid around each other. And, and, and Joe's very good at, uh, you know, we get excited by the same things, but also Joe can, will happily tell me when um, my idea is terrible, <laughs> which is very helpful. It's out of interest. Is I mean, cause obviously a director is directing is the visual, is the visual is very much the visual side of the medium. And obviously writers write to be visual as it were, as opposed to a novel, which can be very internal. But in, in a sense, how, how do you balance the, the sort of your, your desire for what you want to direct and what you want to see versus what the story needs? I guess you, you, naturally, you naturally bring your voice to things, I guess, but that's not... I, I never really thought too much about what I was trying... I, I just felt like there was a set of problems that we were trying to solve. I guess with the short story, you know, got you. The, the the short story was a framework, but it wasn't a perfect framework. It kind of, it was a seventy-page novella, and it was kind of missing a second act. It kind of, it, um, and there were as as a character, Arm was, he's quite a passive character, and he doesn't he doesn't have a a, a want a very strong want in mm. the short story, so. <clears throat> So a lot, a lot of the time, I was just trying to, yeah, just trying to solve narrative problems, really, and mm. and uh, yeah, and, and likewise with you know, um, with Joe. Um, so I think, for, I think, I think in terms of what I was in, I think I would, def I was definitely in in the short story. You have these vignettes, yeah, um, with him and his son. But it's not really part of the narrative. They're just little slices of life that are sort of intercut with this crime story. Got you. And I was definitely much more interested in trying to make Jack, his son, and Ursula, his ex-girlfriend, the kind of the emotional heartbeat of the film. Mm. Um, so that was always trying to bring that, uh, the emotion out of um, the story was always kind of our, our North Star, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that's something you've do, you've you've done really successfully. It's, it's you know, it's it's very clear from the start. You know, we're we're in a sort of crime, crime thr thriller territory, but very quickly, you remind us that it's also about people living in a real world, not not some sort of I don't know, Quentin Tarantino sort of cartoon esque guns are blazing, everybody shouts, and there is no right and wrong anymore. It's very clear that in in the, in the world that Arm lives in, um, he he's got real responsibilities outside of you know being an enforcer. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think like that when I I would always think back to well, what was the first thing that got me excited 
when I read that story and it was this duality of this um, kind of amoral character that you're introduced to who sort of beats people up for a, a living and doesn't seem to have a conscience about it but then has such a connection with his son and um, a, a desire to there is a there is a, a kindness within him within him I guess but and I'm always kind of interested in these sort of characters that um, don't really give themselves enough credit or don't believe they deserve more than the bad hand that they've been dealt. I always I always feel quite some sympathetic towards those those sorts of characters. Yeah, because you, you kind of in in a way I hadn't thought about this till we started talking. There's a there's an element of coming of age to to the whole of Arm's story in this, the way you've the way you've dealt, done it is because we get a sense of his conflict for himself is very much about split loyalties. Like he's he's loyal to everyone that gives a shit about him in a way, for for better or for worse. He doesn't seem to at the start. There's no sort of judgment call on who's good for him and who's bad for him. It's just who's who's all right with him, and he's he man he, he'll, he'll repay that with the sort of dumbest loyalty. Some in some senses. I guess we weren't really thinking too much about theme. You know, like I say, a lot of the time it just felt like problem solving and just trying to mine the material and find the the, the subtext of it and um, this this sense of loyalty between um, these sorts sorts of two versions of his family. I guess was the, was one of the main things that emerged. And obviously, we we developed the script with the National Autistic Society, um, and obviously. Um, so Jack, his five-year-old son, is um, is non-verbal autistic, and um, so I wanted to make sure that that side of the story was handled correctly and was authentic and was um, um, something that they would support. So it was really great having their their input. And what's, um, could you, uh, for, for, for as an example, what, what would be a specific in the film where you, you you almost had to insist that you do it this way because of what plays true to autism? Well, so, I mean, the big thing is that the character is five years old and there was a lot of pressure to cast an older child, maybe someone around nine or ten. Okay. Because um, you're very limited with how long you can have a five-year-old on set. Oh, okay. Um, they, they can only be on camera for two hours a day and they can only be on set for five hours a day. So, basically, your shooting time is reduced by half. And obviously we're a low budget film and we have a very tight schedule. So it was looking very tricky, but I had to insist that the the actor was five years old because that's the age at which you would, um, he would become diagnosed as, as nonverbal autistic, because if you're nine, that's by that point, it would be very clear already. And that the whole, the whole story, um, one of the inciting incidents, I guess, is, is the fact that um, Ursula once has a, wants to move away to a special school um, yeah. where, where Jack can, can get the support that he needs. So really the, that, that story wouldn't be authentic with an, an older actor. And uh, okay, so, it, okay. it, yeah. it, so, so it would have been like a lived experience rather than a, a pin, a pinch point in, in Jack's life. Yeah. And, and so, so then it became about, well, we can't, you know, the advice we had was that we couldn't we couldn't cast um, a child who's on the autistic spectrum because, as you will know, you know some of the scenes are quite distressing and would be very stressful. So it became about finding a local five-year-old boy and and um, 
finding a way of eliciting that performance from him. Um, but um, through the development process, what was interesting is um, we started learning more about, um, um, you know, we were hearing these sort of anecdotal stories about, um, you know, some some people in more rural communities where maybe it's only when they're it's only when their child gets diagnosed with autism that actually they find a link with the parent as well, or maybe the, a parent is is also on the spectrum themselves but has never been diagnosed or has never been aware that they are. Um, and you know, some people were able were kind of looking at Arm and saying, "Well, there's that is a you could read into the story that maybe Arm himself is to some degree, maybe lesser degree, also um, on the spectrum." Um, so kind of that sort of chimed with the theme. You know, there's a scene where they it's the film's called Calm with Horses because the Jack, his five year old son, is um, he goes to equine therapy and it's like the only place where he finds peace and um there's a kind of mirroring between jack and arm in one of the scenes at, at this horse therapy center which, which was naturally in the short story itself but felt it felt like we were trying to draw that theme out a little bit more i guess but in a very subtle way you know we didn't we want the film to be a a, a crime drama not um an autism film as it were cosmo jarvis is cast in in the role of, of arm and it is it's quite the phenomenal performance is only there's no other way of describing it really um in the sense of from the moment we meet him it's clear by the look of him that you know he's he's playing he he is he's the he's the thug you imagine but then he goes to other places through the story and through your direction his performance that you know belie that that exterior that we see of him at first you know what you said the other day, then about the money? After Flanagan was done. Really, no? You want to talk about that? No, we don't have time for it. Come on, let's go. I need that money. I'm not following here. Don't feel up to it today, Dimpna. Sorry? Maybe we could leave it for today. No, 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 no. There's no leaving it. We have to go to the farm today, yeah? Paddy's waiting for us. And if you don't wise up, you get fuck off. Grab the fucking bag. Grab the bag. All right? How, how, did you, how did you and him sort of work that through, you know, in terms of that, that, um, that range of emotion he has to travel, really, I suppose? Cosmo used to be a musician um, before he was an actor, and he actually... He, he he was childhood friends with my housemate um at at film school um so i was i'd been aware of cosmo for maybe since i guess uh, about 10 years ago but i was i always knew of him as this um interesting musician and i used to watch his music videos on youtube and he would always make these incredible homemade music videos and um, so i never really was aware of him as an actor obviously I then saw him in Lady Macbeth, and um, and um, we were really excited for him to come and audition for Arm. And it was just one of those cliche moments that you hear filmmakers talk about, where the moment you meet, you know, the moment he came in the room, it, it felt pretty obvious that he was he was going to be Arm. And that's because he 
he just really understood the spine of who this character was and arm on the page is you know he's a difficult character to sympathize with because he he does a lot of bad things and he's violent and can act quite selfishly at times and um um so finding someone who would bring a huge amount of empathy and sort of heart and sensitivity and 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 I guess a vulnerability he brought and, and uh, to the character which enables enables you to stay with him and to care about him um as an audience member you know and that sort of carries you through and if you if you were to play um too much on the front foot or too much like an alpha male um I don't think you'd stick with the character through the film. Yeah, I mean, I, thoughts that struck me was 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 of you know of mice and men, for example. You know, yeah. it's like that kind of gentle giant, really. Yeah, yeah, and he's someone. He's you know he's a character that's been manipulated, and you know, he's been subjected to gaslighting, and he's he's been vulnerable, and and people have taken advantage of that and pushed him and molded him into what. You know he's he, he's capable of much more than he realizes, I guess. Yeah, and and obviously uh, Barry uh, Keoghan's character is probably chief chief manipulator in the in the in the near in the present, as it were, as we see the story, with with Neve Argas' uh, character as the mother being almost like the yin to that yang, where she can see the promise, but knows she can't she can't fix it. Douglas! I'm going here now, worse. He just left, Jack. What did you do to him? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Uh, look, look, look at it. I'll tell you. I'll tell you everything, right? But, but, uh, not here. You have to go. I'm not going anywhere. No, please. I'm going to make this right. I'm going to make it all right. So, can't do it now. Stop walking away from me. Oh, boy, no fucking time for this. I know something's going on with you. Every part of me said not to come on after you, but here I am. Okay, I'm listening. Just talk to me. Arm. First go home. This is not loyalty. It's servitude. I told you to fuck off, you. Temp, no. What was great with, with Neve, what she she brought so much history to that relationship, and what I really love about their performances together is you you really feel the kind of the ripples and the echoes of um, of their old relationship and you get a sense of their history and the fact that they did love each other at one point and um, there is a it's, a, it's it's a platonic love now, but there is still love there sort of bubbling away under the surface. And... In a way, in that kind of small town environment, and it is a very, I mean, it's, it's, it, it is that very small town, is that, in a way, she's outgrown him, hasn't she? In a sense, by the time we by the time we see the story, there's lots of these young tearaways, and you know, we always imagine that Ursula was was probably like that at some point. But yeah. you know, when when she you know she's now she's now the mother of um, um, Jack, and she that she's had to grow up and she's had to become responsible, and she's she has someone to protect and to care for now, and she you know. We wanted to expand her. We really wanted to expand her role a lot in, from the short story and make her um, the emotional driving force of the piece. Really, mm. um, 
and she doesn't need she doesn't need um but she she sees the real arm i guess and it's she wants to remind her of that i guess yeah, no, it's lovely. It's, it's kind of you can see there's a little bit. I mean, I, I mean, just my interpretation, not you know. It, it, you can you can see that if she if she could just flick a switch and fix the bit of him that's not quite right, she'd take him back in a heartbeat. But that's too big a job with Jack in hand as well. The family side of the story and the the love side of the story, um, they were all my favourite bits to make. I guess, yeah. To me, that's where the, the, the real heart of the story yeah. was, and and then you, you have the mate, you know, working with with Barry and and the the Devers, you know, that these these criminals, the other side of Arms Life was, um, you know, it was so much fun to. And inter- interestingly, da- David David Wilmot's character and uh, Ned Dennehy's character are almost like um, they're bit they're a bit mirrored to Barry and uh, Cosmo's sort of partnership in a sense. There's definitely one in charge of the other. The way I kind of looked at the story was that um, kind of all of the characters in this town are trapped by um, a, a selfish form of love. Um, you have Arm, um, who, who who cares about Jack and Ursula, but he wants them to stay in his life for his benefit, not their benefit. And mm. you have you have Arm, um, who's held back from Jack and Ursula by Dimpner, who they're friends, but he's also his boss and he manipulates him and controls him and and then you have the uncles as well who you know Hector David Wilmot's character is you get the sense that he's maybe slightly growing tired of this family and you know is he or isn't he falling in love with this widow that he's spending time with um but Pordy Ned Dennehy's character wants you know again likes to hold him back because he doesn't want to be left alone so Kind of trying to break that cycle of selfish love, I guess, is one of the underlying ideas of the story. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like a jagged version of that kind of family loyalty we see in films like Godfather. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely, and it's it's kind of you know when it's a very brutal and, and tough tough world, and um, but what I what I really liked about the original story and what we tried to really draw out of in in the film as well is. It is kind of there is a a level of eccentricity to the characters and fizz and humor um, in there as well. So rather, you know, the, I think there's a version of of this story that could be very kitchen sinky, council estate, and grim. And mm. and although we wanted it to be tough and scary, we wanted it to also be vibrant and energetic and emotional and, and funny at times there's echo, there's echoes of uh, i mean i know it is i know it is a i guess a classic kitchen sink estate one but gary oldman's nil by mouth punctuates the blackness of the world with a certain gallows humor ryan mcparland's character in particular he plays a character called noodles um and he's just hilarious and it, you know it, that's my favorite part of whenever i've been in any of the screenings is just it's it's um you know it's nice when everyone has a big old laugh in the right places. And it's it. I mean, his character is is interesting in the sense of how is how has he mentally escaped the prison that everyone else is in? It's almost like his his kind of what I mean. I guess he's he's self medicating for starters. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it appears like he's it appears like I mean he's he's obviously only a part of the supporting cast, but it appears like he's immune to what's going on around him. Yeah, he's sort of. I guess. I guess he's sort of the village idiot. I guess. Obviously. Yeah, but, ignorance is bliss. Is the is the yeah. sort of perfect thing. But, yeah, and um, you know, and it's really important to be able to 
release the, the pressure valve in certain points and just kind of let let people breathe a little bit. Can you talk about the uh, some of the practicalities of shooting the car chase? Yeah, so the car chase was very difficult because we we uh, I think we only had a day to film it. Gee, and, was really? Um, yeah, and shooting anything. I mean, any form of stunt or action is difficult, but in particular, you know, moving cars is incredibly time-consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, so it required a lot of economic planning and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, we've it's very it's shot very simply, and we use a lot of sound design and um, and clever editing to kind of you know I'm really happy with how it came across. Oh, it's really strong. It's really strong. I used to I used to be a, a sort of semi-professional quite a bad semi-professional rally driver not not particularly good not particularly successful but um i did compete in um, in motorsport for most of my uh teenage years okay. so um so yeah so i kind of spent a lot of time in cars and i'm, I'm very passionate about about um about motorsport so uh i, I guess i have like a vis a, a visceral sense of what that what that feels like, I guess. So I, I guess you've got that, that in common that, with yeah. uh, what's he called, Michael Fassbender, isn't he? Isn't he a keen yes. a keen rally driver? Yes, yeah, and he does circuit racing and races Ferraris, and I'm very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> one day, but, one uh, day, Nick. One yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. I was actually meant to compete in my first rally for ten years in June, but unfortunately, it's been cancelled because of, obviously because of the pandemic. So oh, I'll have to wait yeah. wait a little wait a little bit longer before I can go racing again. For the indie filmmaker listening in, then, so what was some, what were some of the sort of um, editing tricks that you managed to pull off in that car chase that that helped you work within the financial and resource constraints you had on offer to you? So it was just about, I mean, everything was storyboarded, um, and it was just being as economical as possible. So every time, every time you move the camera mm. or re rig it on the car, yeah. you're losing about an hour and a half just because it takes so long to set everything up. Mm. um, So what that meant is, you know, we'd have like, rather than have lots of exterior shots, you know, there's a few, you know, like a few hairpin turns and a few key story beats, we'd have exterior camera shots and and things like that. But a lot of it would just be sticking to the point of view of the characters in the cars. Yeah. And just reusing, so like the point of view shot, we would have, you know, we'd have a camera on the end of a of the car, and the stunt driver would race, and he would just race through the track, and um, that would act as arm's point of view. But then we would have, we had a second, um, the the car in the movie that arm has is a Toyota Celica. We had two of them, so basically we could then reset the car and put the second Toyota in front, and we could do it again. But this time it would, the same camera angle would act as the. Um, Ned Dennehy's character's yeah, yeah, point of yeah, view. Yeah. You know, just little things like that to try and um, just maximise what your coverage is getting, really, I guess, is the was the main thing. And then just trying to, the way we did it, we couldn't afford to, you know, if you look at, like, um, James Bond movies and stuff like that, they have these rigs where you have the, the stunt driver sort of is in a cage above the car and then the actor can pretend they're driving. But actually there's a, it's, it's all hooked up to a hydraulics on top of the car and all this kind of clever stuff and all stuff that we had no way of affording. All, all we did is we, so we had this second Toyota, which was um, w- one that we got from Europe. It was a left-hand drive model. So we could basically put a fake steering wheel 
in the car and basically uh, Cosmo could be sat in the car with um uh with the stunt driver driving and out the corner of his eye he would basically just mimic whatever the stunt driver was doing but he was <laughs> he was a sent if you, if you think of Maggie um in the Simpsons in the in the credits yeah, yeah, where yeah. where she's kind of mimicking Marge driving the car with her toy steering wheel it's essentially that was that was the basis of how we did it. I'm conscious to to avoid spoilers, so I'll, I think I'm not I'm not being specific with anything so far. But I'll I'll give specifics in terms of what happens rather than the story be. So there is a there is a there is a moment in um in a, in, in the farmyard that's very that reminds me very much of Goya, if that rings any bells. Mm-hmm. Um, a very bloody moment. Um, can you and and it's one of those moments where what could have been done really simply but really boringly with a, I've done this, oh, my God, you've done that, I can't believe you've done it. You did it all without a single word being spoken and it sort of takes your breath away. Do you want to – is there any way you can talk about that, the, the, the formation of that idea and that image without without either of us spoiling it? It's Again, it's just about, you know, always trying to think of how we can tell the story um, – with images and make it as cinematic as, as possible and, and, and trying to, you know, a lot of our references were thing, you know, were like, um, you know, spaghetti Westerns and mm. things like this and just trying to, trying to have a boldness to it, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah. That, that, that sequence is definitely bold. You know, we're trying, we tried to make the film, a, we tried to give it a sort of heightened ordinary. So we wanted the, the performances to be naturalistic and the mm. world to feel real, but we wanted it to have a slight fable quality to it or a slight kind of um, Western vibe to it. So mm. you do have these sort of extreme things happening and extreme characters and, and often quite violent images and things like this. And um, Yeah, I'd not thought about I'd not, I'm going to say I'd not thought about it as, as, as a Western because I'd sort of I'd grounded myself in the idea of the crimes and stuff. But, yeah, you, you, you could easily read your film as a Western be, just simply because it's almost like the outside world doesn't exist. I mean, apart from this 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 uh, this special school that Jack may go to, that's a few miles, that's seemingly miles away. But but in yeah. terms of your story world and any influence in it, it's all about the characters we meet and how they live their lives. It's not about, you know, yeah. It's, it's not so about going sort of, shopping. Set, or anything like that. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of there's a naturalism to it, but it's mm. set against these, you know, it's set against the ocean and these huge mountains and very sort of epic um landscapes and it kind of gives a, a scale to it and it, mm. i felt like the more we pushed those visuals the more it would allow us to move into slightly more extreme sequences like um the one at, at the farm or yeah. um and to try and yeah because the sense of getting away yeah. with it is 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 palpable isn't it you don't think that's ridiculous everyone would know <laughs> yeah yeah just to try and try and find a way of earning these bigger moments it, it kind of we're trying to earn it all the time through the way we're sort of presenting the world, I guess. We tried really hard to give a sense of um, isolation. And to, so that when I read the story, I, I saw this town that's um, under siege from the elements and the mountains and, and there's, there's no one for miles and all this kind of stuff. And there was a danger to that. And then when I went over to Castle Bar, which is where Colin comes from and where was the original inspiration for the town it wasn't like i thought at all it was very friendly and there was lots of hedgerows and postmen waving at you and 
farmers everywhere and cottages and it, it felt very quaint and very friendly and warm I guess so we worked hard to try and look for locations that would feel a little bit more like the way Colin set the world up in the book so that's why we ended up filming Connemara which is the most amazing mountain ranges but also it's it's kind of rocky and craggy and, and marshland so the the, the 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 earth is not very useful for farming so you don't get any hedges or any sense of human contact with the earth so that was really important in, in setting up this idea that you know you have the town which has kind of been forgotten about and left behind by the rest of the world and whenever you go and visit these mad uncles you have to travel through nothingness to get there so and this this idea that kind of isolation breeds eccentricity and danger. Um, hopefully, not too much now during this pandemic. But um, you know, getting the sense that there's there's a, there's a slight kind of crazed nature to these uncles, I guess. Yeah, and and in a way, even even I'm not again not something I thought about till now. But yeah, you've managed to sort of remind us that we're not all on our mobile phones. That the world doesn't revolve around staring at our phones. It, it, it never felt but it never felt like you just removed them conveniently it just felt like it didn't matter here yeah we just we tried to give the world a slightly tight like i think a lot when you watch the film it, it's hard to place well when is this set and mm. we tried we tried to give it an analog feel and we we tried to make the world feel a bit like a time capsule like this town has been sort of left to decay mm. so a lot a lot of the design is 70s and 80s and 90s and um um, and we try we try to avoid having too too much modern technology in, in the story. No, no, wise wise move, and it, 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 it's 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 all the more authentic for it in a way. Um, I think there's too there's too much like a kind of these days there's too much knee jerk to sort of throw it in as if to say look this is normal, but in a way the drama yeah, that's going uh, on has got nothing to do with yeah any of that. And also and also just in in terms of creating a slightly timeless world. Mm. Um, it just added to that idea that we were trying to tell this sort of slightly more heightened fable story. And we're, I was trying to steer away from making it in any way a social commentary or necessarily nothing political or anything like that. I was trying to just create, mm. create a world, which I felt when I read the short story, which is more, more about the themes and less about I, the actual island. You know, I'm not, I'm not really qualified to talk about this sort of thing. You know, What's been Colin's response to how you've adapted his story to screen? Well, he was very, thankfully, he was very hands-off. Um, and, you know, when he when he agreed, um, when he sort of allowed us to option the story, mm. he just said, go mad, lads. And uh, that was it. And he, he encouraged us to, um, you know, to make the story our own and to, and to change it and evolve it. And, um, and uh, he was not... He was very trusting. It was very um, so. There's nothing was, precious about yeah. his relationship with you and the story and him. No, no, he was okay. there. He was he was very supportive, and he was there when um, when we needed him and when we wanted him. Um, but he was very respectful of of our process as well, and he encouraged us to you know to put ourselves into the story and to take the you know to move the story forward. And you know, I was still incredibly nervous when he read the draft of it and even more nervous when he um, watched it for the first time in Toronto but he he thankfully really liked it. In, out said. of interest though when when you were, when you were sharing the script with him was that part of the option agreement or just you being a nice human being and saying be involved Colin? I mean we 
I mean, I, li- I like to think I'm a nice human being, but to be honest, I, when I was when I'd be contacting, it's because I needed his help usually, or needed information from him, and ah, okay, I needed his advice. And then, yeah, in terms of when he read the script, I think I think he, you know, he gets meaningful con- consultation. So he, um, he, you know, he gets to sort of give his blessing or not. Got you, on, got you. No, it's, it's interesting because um, it's, it's always different with with the way books are uh, optioned and the relationship between the filmmaker and the author. But he's so he's, he's one of the, you know, he's he, one of the nicest guys you could meet. So, um, yeah, it was, I, you know, I have heard stories of it, of those collaborations being quite, you know, having a bit of friction in there, but um, we were very lucky to not have that. Let's remind people then when, when and how can they see Calm with Horses? So it comes out on VOD um, on the 27th of April. So um, I'm not sure if the full list is out yet, but it will be on various streaming platforms from uh, from the end of the month. Congratulations to Cam with Horses. I'm really, I'm really privileged to have got to see it and I'd encourage people to watch it. And it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been, been a blast. Alan Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.